Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, I am Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. I'm actually not alongside Andy here. Uh, we're doing this over the phone again, another busy week uh, with a lot of things pulling at us or pulling at me, I guess. But uh, we'll get to a lot today. We uh, This is our first cast since the spring game. We'll break all that down what our impressions were of, of the spring game, um, a lot of offense talk, uh, a little bit of defense talk, and we'll also get into the NFL draft, which begins tonight. We are taping this on Thursday afternoon, and I know a lot of people are excited about the NFL draft. We'll, we'll, get, we'll look at that from a hooky perspective as well. Andy, uh, we were both at the spring game. Uh, I know, you know, we kind of joked leading in, Last week, that you know, uh, well, who knows what you're going to get in your spring game and all that stuff. I, I'm, I'm curious what you thought, just generally, about this spring game in, in terms of how beneficial it was to you as an observer of it. Uh, how much did you get out of this particular spring game? Because I, I actually thought I got a lot out of it. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting spring game. I, I think last year there was so much curiosity uh, about how Justin Fuente was going to come in and what the offense would look like. And and obviously nobody has seen Gerard Evans really play much. So, uh, looking at the quarterback there, that was a pretty big deal last year, but, but I think a lot of the guys on the offense, you sort of had had an idea of what they were capable of. Uh, you have guys like Bucky Hodges, Isaiah Ford, Cam Phillips, Trayvon McMillan, Sam Rogers. These guys have been around for a while there. I guess Trayvon, not as long as the other guys, but, you sort of had a sense of what they could do or what they bring to the table. It was just a matter of how they fit into that offense. Whereas this year you have a better sense of the offense, but you don't really have an idea of what the guys are capable of because it's just such a young group. Uh, obviously they haven't shown us anything of practice. So it's tough to get any kind of gauge of how these new guys are, especially the, the true freshmen there on the roster and, and, and a lot of redshirt freshmen as well. Cause you, you don't see a lot of, you know, obviously scout team work or anything like that in the fall. Uh, so I think from that perspective, it, it was a pretty interesting glimpse into seeing the capabilities of some of these guys. I, th- I think you, like me, you know, we both uh, came away impressed by some of these supporting cast guys. You know, I think uh, the receiving game, especially there were some guys that stood out there, some younger guys on defense, uh, maybe not going to start, but could provide depth on that side of the ball. Uh, obviously, our first glimpse of the quarterbacks, I don't think they were great, but I don't think they were terrible at the same time. So. Uh, I, I think overall it was an enlightening couple hours out there to, to just see these guys on the field. Cause, cause honestly, we haven't seen a whole lot of them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I actually walked out of there thinking, well, I could go three or four ways with this column. Uh, you know, that's, that's rare. I think at a spring game, cause a lot of times you're like, okay, how do I get to 18 inches off of what I just saw? But this well, is, it, it didn't right. help it's, that we got to the post game and I'm said, Oh, I'm writing on hooker and Farley. <laughs> I'm thinking the two primary stories from this, and I'm going to put them in my main story. So good luck with whatever you can cobble together after that, Aaron. I apologize. For yeah. that. No, that, it worked out just fine, I thought. Uh, you know, this is a rare case where you know there's going to be a lot of guys who who will have to play who you just haven't seen yet. And that includes, you know, quarterback. You know, we've seen, I guess we saw Jackson in last year's spring game, right? But um, the other two we've never seen. Uh, you know, the, the receivers that are, that are freshmen that are probably going to have to play a lot of time. We've never seen them. Let's talk about one of those first. You mentioned Farley. Caleb Farley, well, he's been on offense a week or so. Um, he started the season as a defensive back, and then he comes to the other side of the ball at the end of spring practice. And, you know, I mean, the, the numbers, I mean, he only made two catches in spring game, but he drew, I think, two uh, pass interference penalties. Uh, I think it might have been three, catches. in fact. Did he draw all three of them? I don't know. I think and, I, yeah, saw, I saw somebody mention three. I couldn't remember specifically if he got all three of them. But, yeah, he was a factor there. Yeah. And those were against Brandon Faison, who's a, you know established cornerback and a good player. So, you know, it's not like he did it against some, you know, deadbeat walk-on who's not, you know, not going to have any chance of playing in the fall. So, Farley, I mean, just size up him. I mean, he – is there any chance he doesn't play offense this year? I think my opinion would be that they'd be silly not to put him on that side of the ball. Yeah, I think in the post game, Fuente was hinting at that. I mean, he wasn't going to come out and say it because they hadn't sat down and had the conversation. But the way he intimated the con- the whole uh, post game was, yeah, I think we know which direction this is going to go. So 
Uh, you have three established cornerbacks this year. You know, maybe long-term cornerback is more of a need there. But right now you need playmakers and offense. I mean, that's what they've talked about the entire offseason. That's sort of what the coaches have droned on and on about is finding more guys who can make plays on offense. And you have this guy out there who's been a, a receiver for a week, a little longer than a week, and he looks like the, the most explosive guy on the field uh, at the spring game. And I realize that's a small glimpse into the window of spring, but uh, this it's no mistake he was making plays like that. I mean, he, he was getting open. They they handed it to him on a jet sweep or an end-around type deal, and he got another 17 yards on a play there. Uh, I think he's just somebody they have to get on the field because he's got that sort of game-breaking uh, ability. And I think it's interesting because you go back and you watch his high school film. He played at a small school in North Carolina. Uh, you know, it, it looked like he was playing on, like, the the easy level of – college football or Madden or whatever it is where, where the guys are just the guys that you control are moving at like twice the speed of the defense, the defenders that are out there. I mean, it just, it looked like a video game, how fast he was running by these guys. He, he played quarterback in high school. Cause I think he was just the best athlete on the field. Uh, but you look at his numbers and they're just eye popping the kind of stats, the yards and touchdowns that he scored. Uh, I thought it was kind of curious when they came out, they said they were going to start him on defense. I mean, obviously these coaches, know much much more about football in his specific situation and what the need was but uh you know even a layman like myself can see that what what was on the field the other day the product that, that he brought to the game and you have to go i mean this is a no-brainer this guy's got to play offense yeah i mean you know Fuente has stressed that they need players who, who can do what isaiah ford and bucky Hodge did last year and now of course that's that'd be a lot to put on a freshman in, in Farley but what he means by that is they they need those 50-50 balls to get won by somebody and he looks like the best candidate to do that what he's uh, 6'2 180 pounds he's a pretty well built guy for a young guy uh you know and he he when that ball was in the air uh, he he really wanted it and he he went and got it and those are the kinds of things that the quarterbacks need because they're not going to be perfect you know there's going to be some accuracy uh, oscillating, vacillating, I'm sure, uh, with these guys because they're new and they're young and they, you know, they're not always, uh, 100% sure where they're supposed to go with the ball. I mean, so you, if you have a guy who can, uh, turn a potential pick into a, a game, that's, uh, that's invaluable. And so I, I agree with you. I think that's probably where he winds up. Now, the, the other star of the game, uh, I thought Farley was the best player in the second half for sure. I thought Hendon Hooker was the best player in the first half, uh, the freshman quarterback, the true freshman. Uh, what were your impressions of, of Hooker? Pretty sharp. Uh, you know, that was the first extended look that we got of him. He was 10 for 11 for 113 yards with a touchdown. Uh, also had an interception. That was his one incompletion. So technically the ball never hit the ground uh, when he was throwing it on, on passes that counted. Uh, I, I think you have to take a little bit off of that because you look at it, he was getting all second team work, basically. I think maybe late he got some reps with the first team, but uh, working with the second team and going up against the second team defense, which in the spring is not quite the second team defense, just because there were so many injuries already that uh, they were pulling guys up to the first team just to fill slots. So uh, I would temper the excitement about him a little bit from that perspective. I, I'll tell you what it kind of reminded me of. It kind of reminded me of Josh Jackson last year. Uh, you know, remember we, we went in the spring game and all the focus was Gerard Evans and, and Brendan Motley, as it should have been. I mean, those were the two veteran guys on the roster. Here's this uh, true freshman that came in that enrolled early, Josh Jackson. And uh, I remember early he had a drive where he just went straight down the field, just made good decisions, uh, nice, easy, short passes, just moved the ball uh, piecemeal down the, down the field. And uh, I can't remember if they scored a touchdown or if they got a field goal out of that. But I saw that and I go, you know, this guy's not bad. Uh, keeping in mind the thought that he was playing against a second team uh, defense. So you have to uh, say, well, yeah, what would he have done against the first team defense? Because Virginia Tech has a pretty good first team defense out there. Uh, that said, Josh Jackson was in the competition last August. So I, I think if you look at the bigger picture of this, uh, the fact that Hooker performed pretty well, looked like he wasn't overwhelmed by the moment, uh, is in this competition right now. Fuente's already said that. Uh, there's a track record in the past for guys that are young, that uh, make right decisions and are smart with the ball and aren't overwhelmed by the situation. They can pop up in the competition. Uh, you know, if Jackson was in, legitimately in the competition last year with Gerard Evans, who went on to have one of the best single seasons in Virginia Tech history for a quarterback, 
uh, that probably bodes well if Hooker is in this competition right now. And it's not like he has to overcome somebody like Josh Jackson or somebody like Gerard Evans. He just has to beat uh, Josh Jackson, who's a redshirt freshman, and A.J. Bush, who's a junior college transfer. So there's not a lot of uh, history or a lot of experience there between those two guys. I, I just think he he's a uh, much more legitimate shot, has a legitimate shot at this uh, winning this job than I thought he would have at the start of the spring. Yeah, I noted in my blog about the quarterbacks this week that uh, there was a moment his eighth straight completion. You know, he started ten to ten, and his eighth straight completion there was a rush coming from the outside, and, and he just stepped up really coolly and and hit his man. And, you know, the, the rush never even bothered him. I mean, he just he looked like he really felt comfortable out there, uh, which which what, which was what surprised me the most. I mean, just it didn't look like there were any jitters or anything. Um, now, we know he threw that pick. That pick was the kind of play that makes you, you know, take pause because it was the kind of play that's uh, very avoidable. You know, he, he, you know, the receiver was going one way. I was it an in and out, and he just did the end, and the, the guy uh, picked it off. Uh, it was facing who picked it off. You know, and, and you know that obviously that those are the kinds of things that that Fuente won't stand for in the regular season, and I, I think those are the things you might get every now and then with Hooker, and you'll probably get some of that with the other guys too. But I think that's a real, um, you know, tough tough mark on the con in the con column for for Hooker. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think the the one positive from that interception. I mean, if, if you're gonna put a silver lining on it, it wasn't a bad decision. He just there was a miscommunication. Uh, it's not like he made a throw into a tight spot that he shouldn't have. I think that would have right. uh, you know, bothered Fuente more. It's just they weren't on the same page. The play call didn't get in correctly. Uh, it sounds like the receiver did the correct thing, and, and uh, Hooker didn't have the right play call in his mind or whatever it was. Uh, I mean, that comes with experience over time. I think some of that is to be expected from a, a true freshman quarterback. Not that it'll necessarily be tolerated if he's somebody that's actually going to be in, in the conversation to be the starter, but... Uh, you know, if he went out there and he was throwing, uh, you know, balls into double coverage and stuff like that, I think that would be more of a concern uh, in this situation. But, you know, overall, you know, you talked about him looking pretty calm out there. I just thought there was a general smoothness to his game. Uh, you know, he didn't take off and run too much. But the other day at the, the open practice when we saw him, he did just sort of glide down the field a couple of times and quarterback keepers. He He has that capability. So that's another uh, you think in the positive column for him uh, in this job is I think he has that running ability. Uh, you know, kind of looked you know, where he's wears number two. He kind of looked like Dwayne Lawson the way he ran the ball. I know Virginia Tech fans will cringe when they hear that comparison because Lawson uh, kind of washed out here at Virginia Tech and then went out, he transferred out. And now he's at Illinois, uh, but he's a big body guy, not as thick as Lawson was. He's only 196 pounds, but he sort of has that gliding running uh, technique where it just looks very smooth and very natural for him. Yeah, that's a really good point about his experience level, too, because, I mean, this, this was the 15th practice he's had at a college campus. So, uh, you know, it's reasonable to expect, especially if, he, if he's chosen the aptitude of, of learning from those kinds of mistakes and not making the same mistakes twice. I think that's, that's you know, you, you move that notch on the on the con side over to the pro side and say, well, the guy is, you know, developing and learning. Uh, let's go to Jackson next. Uh, you know, he's the front runner, I think. Uh, I think we all we've agreed on that. And we've Vegas installed him as the front runner, right? The official odds you know from Vegas. <laughs> I wanted to ask you what you thought of my odds, uh, but maybe we'll get to that after we've talked about each one of them individually. But gosh, you know, four for eight, fifty-seven yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Pretty vanilla line there. Uh, I noted in the blog that thirty-six of his yards came on on the play by Farley that we were talking about. It was essentially a jump ball on the sideline, so that was a you know a real help. Helper, he got. You know, otherwise he'd have something in the in the you know low thirties uh, in terms of yardage. What uh, did, did Josh help himself at all? Hurt himself at all on on last Saturday? Uh, in my view, I wouldn't say helped or hurt too much. I, I don't know what he did out there that really made me move one way or another, thinking about his chances in this job. And you know, for him, uh, you know, going in with the first team, being the first quarterback on the field. I didn't expect him to necessarily light it up on the field. Uh, I think a lot of that is, you know, what is his supporting cast around him? They're obviously not going to be up to the caliber that they were last year. So I think that helped out Gerard Evans quite a bit last year. 
Uh, so that'll be something that any quarterback uh, in this system has to overcome is just that sort of greenness, that newness of the guys that are out there. Uh, but I thought he handled himself okay. I mean, no picks. It didn't look like he forced a lot of passes into bad situations. Uh, he's a little bit uh, on the bigger side. I, mean, I don't want to say bigger, but it, it, not like a, a running type quarterback like the other ones. I think he can move, just not quite as well as the other guys. Uh, so that'll be something interesting to watch over time. But, uh, you know, I, I think his sort of uh, general demeanor is the thing that stands out with him most. And his general demeanor isn't uh, like he's way out there. He's going to make a ton of exciting plays all the time and get all hyped about it. He's just going to be kind of, you know, go out there, throw it to the guy that's open and then move on to the next play. And uh, I think you saw some of that on, on Saturday. I don't know if it was enough to really get a, a nice long evaluation on him, though. Yeah. I mean, I think we're going with the assumption that this is his job to lose. He did not lose it on Saturday. You know, he did. He didn't go out there and, and pitch the ball around and hit, hit dumb spots. And you know, I, I remember he did throw the ball away one time when the time ran out on him. And that was I, I made a mental note. Yeah, that was you know that was smart. You know, that's the kind of thing that um, you know a good quarterback would do. Uh, how about Bush here? Bush was four six. AJ Bush seventy yards, no TDs, no picks. Uh, he was helped greatly at the very end by a, a 39 yard catch and run. That was a beautiful um, garbage time uh, addition to the yeah. book there. That was nice. You got that one right in in the last minute where it looked like, oh, they'll just run <laughs> out the clock and be done here. But no, I'll add 39 yards to my total, make it look a little bit better. That's the thing. I mean, think about that. If, if, if Farley doesn't make that 36 yard grab and for, for uh, Jackson and then, Bush doesn't get that 39-yard catch and run on a deep cross by Patterson. You're looking at two guys who have, you know, fewer than 40 yards passing, and then you got, you know, uh, Hinton Hooker with more than twice that much. I mean, as much as people were talking about Hooker after that game, it would have been even more uh, of a a jarring statistical line difference for those guys. But what did you think of uh, of Bush? Uh, I, I sort of had the same thought as I did with Jackson. Uh, it, it wasn't really a, a whole lot of reps to sit there and watch him and draw a firm conclusion. I think he mentioned it afterwards himself. You know, you know, there wasn't really a running component for the quarterbacks in this game. I mean, you can't do it. You you, you can't do it when it's uh, the quarterbacks aren't live. I mean, they get up to the hole and the linebacker gets his pinky on you and they go, oh, you're down, whistle it dead. So you don't really know what the outcome of that play would be. Uh, it doesn't really do them a whole lot of good to call out of those plays because what what are you going to learn from that kind of stuff? But I think that's a, an area where he really could help this team is as a runner. Uh, I think what I'd still like to see more of, and you know probably won't given how the practice setup has been for the media here, is uh, you know what, what's he like as a thrower? Can he be an accurate guy? Can he be a a sixty percent uh, completion guy? Which I think is really uh, sort of the target of what you want out of a, a passer these days, especially in an offense like this one where I think high completion rates and you know getting the ball in the hands of the receivers early and letting them work uh, is a big part of this offense. So uh, from that perspective, I don't think you saw a whole lot of him. But uh, again, he didn't seem like a guy that was overwhelmed by the moment. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. And he certainly looked a lot better like, when, when this transfer was first announced and we looked at that Iowa Western, you know, and we were like, okay, who is this guy? You know, why is the, why is Tech going after this guy and getting and bringing him in? Well, you saw why. I mean, he's got skills for sure. Um, and I've liked him in the interview settings. I think he's uh, handled himself very maturely in those, in those situations. And he's a confident guy. So, uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I think he's got a real shot at this. Um, more so than I thought maybe coming into the spring. But let me ask you what, what you think of my odds. I had Josh Jackson's close the favorite at four to five. Uh, I mean, you'd have to bet $5 to win four. Uh, so better than one to one favorite. A.J. Bush, eight to five. And uh, Hooker, I still got a, a pretty pretty big long shot at eight to one. Any of those numbers, uh, do you look at those or you hear those and you say, that's uh, now you're off there, Aaron? Uh I don't think so. I'd maybe bump Hooker's odds up to be a little bit better than eight to one, at least after seeing the spring game. Again, you know, I think he's still the long shot to get the job just based on experience. Uh, you know, historically they have not had a lot of true freshman quarterbacks ever come in here and have too much success. It was really just Tyrod Taylor, and even that, uh, I think the memory of how he did that year outweighs what his actual production was. 
uh, when you look at the actual numbers. And, and certainly would have paled in comparison to what his 50th year uh, could have been as a senior had he redshirted that year. Uh, I think a lot of Virginia Tech fans, if given the opportunity, might have gone back uh, and taken that, that year on the back end of his career instead of the front end. So I think if you're a coach, you have to weigh that into your, your thought process, uh, especially when you've got a guy that, you know, if Hooker plays this year, he's essentially the same class as Josh Jackson. Uh, and I, right. you know, I guess you can't really worry about that when you don't have a quarterback. If he's the best quarterback option, you go with your best quarterback option and then figure it out from there. But, uh, you know, otherwise, I think they could create a little separation there and uh, get a little more production out of both those guys. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, I, I would still put the order Jackson, Bush, Hooker in terms of like, likeliness of winning the job, even after how well Hooker did in the spring game, just because he's so young. Yeah, yeah. I just want to note that I think my odds are, are more in line with what Vegas would actually do than some of the ones we've seen online over the years. Remember that three quarterback derby a few years back? And yeah. Like somebody did it. And it was like the, the favorite was like 10 to 1. I was like, hey, it's 10 to 1. The second option is 20 to 1. I'm like, where can I get on this? Is Vegas actually taking these odds? <laughs> where where can I go and just take out all my savings that all all three of these guys uh, and, and win money? Okay, who who is the I person? Com- who, who is the person on Twitter that uh, tweeted is like I'd like you to ask uh, Coach Fuente what he thinks of those odds. So I didn't respond to the tweet, but my response would have been like I would love to see the awkward silence and just like like blank stare that comes across from Fuente if we were to ask him, oh, what, what do you think of these odds that we've set in your quarterback battle? It's like, it would have just been the biggest non-answer, most awkward silence in the room for, I mean, it would have gone 20 seconds before somebody probably would have stepped in. It's like, okay, next question. Who's got the next question here? The only thing better would have been to set odds on, on how likely the quarterbacks were to get hurt, each yeah, one of them. That would have been even better. <laughs> And then just asked him about that, because I'm sure he'd love to talk that. Uh, well, I wrote my column for Sunday on, on the supporting cast. Uh, you know, mentioned Farley in there, of course. He's part of that. But also got into uh, some of the other guys, and, you know, the Pattersons and the Kings, and, and just the fact that, you know, this is really what, what Puente has talked about since the beginning of the spring. This is where the emphasis has really been for this offense is uh, finding guys who can help whoever emerges from at quarterback uh, by making plays. What were your thoughts on, you know, just general, you know, a lot of the younger guys who were out there running around, uh, anybody stand out to you uh, among that supporting cast crew? Yeah, well, obviously Farley. I think he had a really good game. I thought Phil Patterson looked pretty good at times. I mean, he was obviously helped by that catch at the very end, but you know, that catch counts. It's not like that was uh you know, just completely discounted, even though it came at the very end. Uh, Dalton Keene was a tight end that, you know, Head and Hooker looked very comfortable throwing it to him as sort of an outlet uh, in the passing game, a lot of short stuff that he turned into to longer gains. I know that's a big position with, with Sam Rogers being gone. He did a lot of that H-back type stuff uh, from last year. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think of other offensive guys that stood out. Those were the, the main ones to me. And, and obviously you have Cam Phillips coming back. A couple guys were hurt for the spring game. You had Eric Kuma, who sounds like he had a good spring. He was out with an injury. Uh, Henry Murphy was doing some stuff earlier. He was out with an injury. So there were a lot of pieces there that you didn't see. Uh, C.J. Carroll was hurt for the spring. Uh, James Clark is an Ohio State guy who's coming as a grad transfer, supposedly. Uh, you know, that receiving core might not have just the, the sort of top-end talent that it did last year, but I think there are – uh, you know, the seedlings of some decent things there that, you know, one guy might not be a 120-yard receiver in a game, but I think a lot of different guys could come in and contribute contribute in different ways and, and help this team. It's, it's just not going to be as top-heavy as it was last year. Yeah, I, I wrote something on Phillips, Camp Phillips this week. You know, I'm... You, you think of receivers, and I maybe it's you know it's an unfair reputation that they you know that the position has because of guys like Torello and Antonio uh, Antonio Holmes or Brown or whatever that guy's name is uh, for Pittsburgh, but you know like uh, you know that they're that they're me first guys or whatever or that you know they they just have to get theirs. They don't, don't really care what else happens on the field. That there's bombast bombast to that position, or at least there has been over the years. I, you know, Cam, I, I don't any of that with him. I mean, he's he's a very selfless guy. I mean, he, he talked about helping out 
Farley. I would have loved to have gotten Farley's uh, perspective on the mentorship process. You know, he, he was helping him out when he was, when Farley was playing defensive back, you know, and, and now he's helping him as a receiver. Um, he, he's just that kind of guy. I mean, he's a senior and he's the kind of senior you want if you're going to have a lot of young guys on that side of the ball. So, um, you know, I just, I thought that was worth mentioning because, you know, you, you talk about coaching all you want, but you also need, I think you need teammates who, who can work you through some, some trials and tribulations that you're sure to have as, as a young player. Yeah, old Uncle Cam. He even had a hip injury. Yeah. He even had a hip injury that was keeping him out of the spring game. It's kind of funny. I wonder if any guys gave him, gave him any, uh, a rough time about that. It's like, oh, got this old uh, decrepit Uncle Cam here breaking down already with a hip problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, as sad as I was to see Ford leave, you know, because he was such a good interview guy. I mean, I think Phillips is is is, is pretty close. I mean, he's he's good. You know, he's he's pretty thoughtful in his his responses and the way he thinks about the game. So, uh, just wanted to mention that too. Okay, it's time for the uh, Khalil Pimpleton minute. Uh, you know, this is a feature of every podcast. Still working on the theme song for this. There's <laughs> still some got one. Uh, guys, if you're out there, we're still looking. Uh, maybe we can send you a Roanoke Times coffee mug or something. Who knows? But um, Khalil, I mean, here he is. I, I, I'm convinced what they're doing. They didn't want to put anything on film this this time. You know, they didn't want to show anybody <laughs> anything. Um, they're they're saving it all for the regular season. What I think Khalil had one catch, and I think he got just obliterated uh, either after a catch or. Uh, you know, on an incompletion, one or the other, uh, you know, where <laughs> the physics of his smaller frame were, were in full view of all of us. Uh, anything, any thoughts on Khalil? We got to we have a minute, uh, and I want, I want your thoughts on, on how he was deployed. I don't know if I could go a full minute for somebody who had two catches for seven yards or whatever it was. You're right, he did get destroyed. Did he okay. Yeah, he did get destroyed on that little uh, wide receiver screen. I believe it was Tavante Beckett uh, who, uh, you know, Bud Foster described afterward as somebody who, when he comes to the dance, he brings the, he's a thumper or something like that. I can't remember the exact quote. I'd have to go back and look at it. He's a thumper, though. He, uh, he can hit guys. Uh, he's only 5'10", I think, but he, he uh, plays with his pads out there. Uh, yeah, that was, that was a, a rude welcome to college there for Khalil Pimpleton. I, I don't, again, you don't read much into it, uh, targeted a couple times. I, I think that's really where they like him is on those little screens and stuff quick passes out to him and then see if he can do something with it uh, once he's out in the open field. Uh, I don't think the spring game was going to be a huge showcase of that. Uh, you know, you, you want to get everybody kind of in on the action and, you know, two or three targets is maybe the tops of what you're going to get in a lot of those situations. So, uh, yes, definitely keeping Khalil Pippen under wraps. It was a <laughs> it was their targeted goal of the spring games not to let anybody know about it. They were slow playing him. Uh, you saw right through Fuente's plan. That's right, and that's why I'm still very much in real deal Khalil corner going forward. Okay, let's move to the other side of the ball briefly. I mean, you know, the defense was missing a ton of players, uh, the injuries and, and just general woes. Uh, what did you? Uh, what stood out to you on, on the defensive side of the ball? You know, I, I think you look at what was out there. And then you can remember the pieces that are coming in that were injured in the spring, and you can see the a pretty good defense out there. There's a structure of a really good defense. I mean, there are guys like, uh, you know, Tremaine Edmonds, Andrew Matuapawaka, a linebacker that you just don't have to worry about there. They're pretty solid. Uh, Ricky Walker, Tim Settle, I thought had a pretty good spring game, disruptive on the inside. Uh, the secondary, Terrell Edmonds. At free safety, Brandon Faison and Donis Alexander at corner, I think they all look pretty good. You know, Faison's pass interference calls notwithstanding. Uh, you know, when you add Trayvon Hill and Vinny Mahota back into the mix, when you add Mook, Mook Reynolds into the mix at, at whip linebacker, uh, Devin Hunter gets here in the summer. He'll compete with Reggie Floyd for that rover job. I just think that's a really solid defense. Greg Stroman is another cornerback that's going to be uh, in the rotation, possibly even starting did for most of last year before he got hurt that that's a that's a real solid starting 11 I think that's why when you listen to Bud Foster talk uh he's looking for backups he's looking to fill out that second team and guys that can contribute in some capacity beyond the starting lineup because I think when you look at the starting 11 
Uh, there's not a whole lot that's up for grabs right now. That you know, you, you look at the offensive side and you say, how this team, how is this team going to win with so much, uh, so many question marks on offense? It's like, well, for a long time, Bud Foster's defense carried the day, carried the flag here at Virginia Tech, and this looks like it could be a pretty good group next year if everybody continues to progress how they would, and some, you know, some guys that you expect to have breakout seasons do in fact do that. Yeah, I mean, I asked Bud his impressions after the game. He asked. Looks like they gave you a decent, uh, a decent look today. I mean, what did you think? And he said, "Yeah, you know, they've they've been doing it all spring. They've been they've shown the ability to put up some points, move the ball, and that that's all we're really looking for from them. And, and we'll do the rest, really. And, and that's you know, that's all. That's that's the formula. That's the formula they they have at Virginia Tech. It's worked. It worked last year, and, and hopefully uh, for their sake, it, it works again. But um, let me ask you." I mean, I, you know, Bud Foster is, uh, you know, I think he's he's the link to the to the past, you know, here. I mean, he, he still bridges that Frank Beamer era and this era so well when you when you talk to him. He he talks after every game unless he has some sort of recruiting obligation or something. This is a relatively new phenomenon that he's been sort of the spokesman for the defense after the game um, in almost every case. Do you do you, do you get as much out of that as I do when he actually comes up there and you know gives you the defensive uh, breakdown while Quinte does the other side? Yeah, I I think whenever Bud talks, you get a lot of stuff. Sometimes he gets a little jargony. Uh, you know, he'll start going, oh, "Well, we were in a base, and the whip came over the top, and the two three, and the the, the B gap, and you just go, okay, I'm sure that was right. I don't know what it means. I'm sure somebody with deeper football knowledge would understand that, but." Uh, no, I, I kind of like the setup, uh, to a degree. I'd, I'd still like to talk to some of the other assistant coaches. I thought they always were extremely valuable, especially when you're trying to write feature stories about some of these individual players, because they work with them most one-on-one. But the way Fuente has structured it is he is the spokesman for the offense on this team. And Bud Foster is the spokesman for the defense, which, uh, makes sense. You know, Fuente's an offensive minded guy. This is his offense. Uh, you know, when he came in, he kept Bud Foster specifically to run the defensive side. Uh, that's not to say that, that Fuente doesn't have oversight on what Bud is doing. And if he wants to step in and, and you know, make a suggestion or say something or uh, a direction the defense should go, he'll, he'll say his piece. But I think in, in large part, Bud still just has the free reign to run the defense how he wants to. And, uh, you know, for a guy that's been here 30 years now, uh, I think that's a smart way to go, and, and and obviously whenever you talk to him, there's a lot of insight to be gleaned about how he goes about it. Uh, I thought it was interesting in the post game the other day. Bud was actually more helpful about the offense <laughs> with his quotes than he was than Fuente was. I mean, Fuente's just not going to say a lot uh, about the offense. Then you go over to Bud, he's like, "Oh man, Stephen Peoples and Trayvon McMillan ran the ball hard." It's like, well, Fuente wouldn't say that. He wasn't going to say that when he was up on the the stage. So sometimes Bud actually gets a little more insight to maybe how guys did in the spring because he's got a unique perspective on it. But uh, yeah, whenever Bud talks, it's always an enjoyable uh, experience, I think. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And, you know, he's over the years had a ton of people go in the NFL draft. That doesn't look like it's going to be the case this year. There's really no candidate on defense uh, for the Hokies to go in the draft. But the draft does start tonight, and we don't anticipate any of the players, uh, the tech. Uh, should have drafted or could have drafted would get drafted in the first night. But let's start with uh, Isaiah Ford. I want to start with Ford. He was sort of one of your uh, one of the guys you kind of focused on in your little advanced story today well, he's the, about he's the, the one I actually got on the phone. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that helps. That helps. And again, another reason why I'm, I'm sorry to see him go. He's good about that stuff. Bob, where do you think? Where, where, well, maybe not where you think, but you know, what are you reading? What are you hearing about? You know. All, through all the smoke screens and everything else to go on with this event, uh, where he might land, like round-wise. You know, I've kind of been surprised by his draft stock because it, it seems like it's dropped considerably uh, from when he declared for the draft. I think when he came out, Mel Kuyper Jr. had him as uh, possibly a second-round pick, had him as his number six receiver. And I, I looked at Kuyper's uh, ranking, pre-draft ranking, final one that he did, and Ford was number 18 of the receivers. Has him uh, fourth to sixth round. Uh, you know, I think a, a couple other sites are sixth or seventh, possibly. I think a, a couple sites I've seen said maybe not even drafted, which you know kind wow. of boggles my mind. I, I just 
Is that all tied to he didn't run as fast as people thought he would at the combine? I mean, he ran a four six one. It's not necessarily slow by any uh, stretch of the imagination. It's just not up there with the other top tiered wide receivers. Uh, you know, I watched him for three years in college. I never thought, oh, this guy is a, a speed demon out there. His his whole value that he brings to the field is on how fast he is. I just, you know, that was never his thing. He was just a good, well rounded receiver. He ran routes well. He caught the ball well. He was fast enough. He got open. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a humble guy, a hard worker. He could go up and get the 50-50 ball. I think he was just sort of the total package at receivers. So uh, I, I don't know what these NFL teams were expecting with how he ran, but it, it's amazing to me that now all of a sudden you're talking about him as a late-round pick when uh, everything that we saw here at Virginia Tech, he was an extremely productive guy who, uh, you know, just from the, the day he stepped on the field, he was a very big factor in this offense. Do you have any current NFL comps for for Isaiah? I mean, you know, he, you know, somebody who maybe doesn't put up the fast times but does all those other things so well. Because I mean, I, I just, you and I are kind of the same in that we don't follow the NFL all that closely. But I was wondering if anybody anybody along the way has mentioned, well, he's a so and so type. You know, he reminds me of this guy or or whatever. Have you heard any of that? You know, I haven't. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of. I I can't go through my. Uh my memory banks of all the guys in the NFL and who might fit Isaiah's uh, profile. Yeah, I just, I just, I look at him and I think there's just no way in my mind that he's not going to have at least some production in the NFL. He might not be a superstar, but I just feel like he is going to have a role. I, I just brought up his uh, NFL combine page, NFL comparison. They put Justin Hunter, uh, okay. who was a, I believe, wasn't he the, te- he was from university of Tennessee. I think he was a seven five seven guy, wasn't he? I, I can't remember. He didn't have huge success in the NFL, but I think he had a little bit. I, I I just feel like Isaiah Ford, the way that he goes about his business, the way he works, he's a student of the game. He's you know he's, his head's not in the clouds, which I think might be an issue with some of these other guys. I I just feel like he's going to help you in some capacity in the NFL. I think somebody's going to be very pleased if they get him in the fifth or sixth round if he falls that far. Yeah, no, I agree with you, but I also. The reason I ask that question is just because I, I wonder if, if if not putting up a, a good time is if speed is just that much of a of a, of a deal breaker for so many evaluators. You know that that would be the only explanation, given all, everything you just said. That you know they have um, you know evidence, statistical evidence, the guys that don't run under you know, four six uh, don't don't pan out. I don't know. I mean, well, you know, it'd be interesting to see you know who has some of the slower combine times and put up great careers at wide receiver. Well, I mean, you can just look at somebody from Virginia Tech's history as an example of somebody who was not well regarded in the draft that, you know, wasn't a superstar in the NFL, but carved out a career for a while. And that's Jared Boykin. That's the guy that uh, held the records before Isaiah Ford did. And I think if I remember right, he had a hamstring injury at the combine and, and ran like a four eight or something like that. It, it was really slow. Uh, there was a reason for it. I think he ran better when he actually came to, to the Hokies Pro Day. He did not get drafted, uh, if I remember correctly. But then all of a sudden you see him on the Packers being a productive receiver out there. I think he was on the Panthers, uh, did some things there. Again, not a superstar, but an NFL player who, in the right spot and on a very good offense, put up some numbers for a year or two there. So, uh you know, if if Boykin can do it, and I, I think I see a lot of the same qualities in Isaiah Ford as Boykin, I think Ford is, is maybe a little bit better athlete in terms of, uh, you know, going up and getting the ball and being a playmaker and stuff like that. Uh, I just have to think that there's some way that he contributes in the NFL. I, it, this is this is one that I look at it and I just kind of, you wonder if it's just like analysis, paralysis by analysis and how much these guys look at the combine numbers and ignore the three years body of work that he actually put on a football field. Uh, maybe I'm too close to the situation, having viewed him from the second he got here, and uh, you know he was always a, a very cordial uh, person. Uh, you know, put up with us reporters very, very well. It was always a nice interview. Maybe that's clouding my judgment on this one a little bit, but uh, I don't know. I just think that somebody will get a pretty good wide receiver uh, later than they probably should in the draft with him. Well, Boykin's a great pull by you. I'm, I'm glad now that I asked that question because I felt bad. When you couldn't come up with anybody, but this somebody at Virginia Tech is an even you know even better reference point for for people listening to this podcast. You know they remember Jarrett and his giant hands. I remember that was the thing about uh, Boykin uh, that, that really stood him 
it set him apart was he had the biggest nip of like anybody on the team in, in the history of the program. Twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen with the Packers, Jared Boykin, forty nine catches, six hundred eighty one yards, three touchdowns. That's a pretty yeah, good season. It's pretty good. I mean, that obviously yeah. helps to have Aaron Rodgers throwing you the ball, but uh, and I think there were a lot of injuries on that Green Bay team that allowed him to play, but it was still, uh, you know, that was him producing in the NFL. And I think coming out of the draft, he was somebody that, that everyone would have said, there's no way that guy's going to be an NFL producer. Uh, so, right. yeah. And, you know, it, it's just interesting because, uh, you know, I, you watch three years of Isaiah Ford, there's no there's no thought in my mind that he would be somebody who would succeed in the NFL just based on what he did here. Right, right. Well, let's stay with wide receiver and go with Bucky Hodges. Uh, I think it's – We can call him a tight end now. He's in the NFL. Okay. He's going to be a tight end. Tight end, All right. tight end, whatever you want to call him. Tight end, played receivers last year at Virginia Tech. Um, tore up the combine, didn't he? Yeah, I had a very good combine. I think he had the longest broad jump in the history of the tight ends. Wow. Okay. Well, you know how often they like to broad jump in the middle of games. Yes. Um, Often, often the tight end will get the ball and then stand still and then leap <laughs> forward with no resistance. Uh, if you give him two of those, you might get a first down. Uh, so, you know, that's really a, a skill that comes in handy in the NFL. <laughs> Where are people projecting him to land? You know, lower than initially with him, too. I, I remember specifically the Mel Kuyper conference because I think I asked him about it in January. Uh, he said that he had Bucky up there with O.J. Howard of Alabama as possibly the first tight end off the board. And if that was the case, that had him possibly as a first rounder, maybe second rounder. You know, tight end's not exactly a premium position. So, you know, teams don't reach a lot to take a guy like that. Uh, I look at Kuiper's rankings now, and I think Bucky is the eighth tight end listed, uh, which is, you know, much lower. They, you know, I think they project in a third, fourth round. Uh, I think if you're going to bet on the first Hokie off the board, it probably is going to be Bucky Hodges. Uh, I, you know, he he ran and jumped out of the building at the combine. That was, you know, something that he was going to do. He's just a freak athlete like that. He also had some trouble getting into a three-point stance because he hadn't done a whole lot of it in college. He, you know, like we mentioned, he's he was been a receiver the last couple of years at Virginia Tech, even though he is a tight end. Has always been a tight end. That's the position he was playing. Uh, not a lot of hand in the dirt, not a lot of off-the-line stuff. Uh, so that's a concern, blocking. You know, if, you, if you're going to take a tight end in the NFL, I think a lot of teams want him to be able to block, too. And that, Those are, you know, big question marks about Bucky going to the NFL. On the flip side, and, you know, I think somebody has pointed out, I think it was Bucky Brooks uh, on the NFL Network that pointed out that, you know, Jordan Reed of the Redskins is a sort of a receiving tight end type that can do a lot of things, H-back. A lot of different roles, and it is more of an offensive weapon than really the traditional tight end, where he's going to be on the line, he's going to block the you know double team, the defensive end, and open up a hole. Uh, and I think there's a lot more imagination with some of these offensive coordinators now that if they get a guy who's six seven, two fifty, can run like Bucky can, can can broad jump like Bucky can, because that's so valuable. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of ways to turn him into a real big offensive weapon out there. Um, I think it was interesting in the, you know, a lot of comps uh, that Bucky had uh, coming into the draft. People like, oh, he's just like Jimmy Graham. He's he's all receiver, no cap, no blocking. It's like, well, okay. Well, Jimmy Graham was signed a $50 million contract or whatever it was. has been an all pro tight end for a couple of years. So if, that, if that's your comp, that's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, I will say that, you know, given Bucky's skill set, I think there's a lot of teams in the league that aren't going to draft a tight end like that. Uh, it's going to take a certain kind of team, which, which might limit his draft stock, as only you know a certain number of teams might even consider uh, a player like that. But uh, again, I think he's a, a good offensive weapon if you find the right team and the right fit for him. Yeah, I mean, I think that receiving tight end is a position all its own now. You know, it's a different category almost. But you're not going to draft him if you want somebody to line up and really bulldoze your way in the running game. But, uh, yeah, there's a place for guys who can make catches and play tight end and line up at different spots and, and then wreak some havoc offensively. So, yeah, I, I think I think he's going to have a – just a guess, but, I mean, I think he's going to have a good NFL career. I think he's going to – perhaps make a pro ball or two. I mean, I think he's that physically gifted. And, um, you know, he, he got some good coaching here. And at the end of his career, he was, uh, you know, learned, he'd learned two different positions. And I think that probably helps too, you know, just having, uh, 
having the experience of, of doing different things and learning where everybody is and on certain plays uh, can, can help you pick up a playbook a little quicker when you get to the next level. All right, how about the guy that was throwing the ball to Bucky and tied there, uh, Gerard Evans? You know, obviously we've talked about it before, very surprised. Most of us we were very surprised that he uh, opted into this draft. Is he going to get drafted? And if so, um, you know, under what scenario do you think? I think he will. I mean, there there's some people out there, Mike Mayock, who obviously knows more about the draft than I do, or most anybody that's out there, said that he doesn't think Gerard Evans will be drafted. Uh, I maybe find that hard to believe just because quarterback is a position. It's such a premium position. Uh, you know, half, the league, half the teams in the league are looking for a quarterback, and I think a lot of them now are looking to find that bargain guy uh, – a la Russell Wilson, a la Dak Prescott, that they can get in the third, fifth, you know, sixth round, somebody like that that could uh, maybe be an under-the-radar guy that they could develop over time and get a real cheap asset at quarterback. That's such an advantage if you can pay your quarterback the league minimum for a couple of years and he's of the caliber that can lead you to the playoffs. I, th- I think Seattle really found that out early with Russell Wilson. Uh, those guys don't come along often, but if you hit on one, that's a really big advantage. So I think you'll continue to see teams take quarterbacks like that. And it's not like there's a a million quarterbacks in this draft. I I think at some point somebody takes a chance on him in the draft. I think I've seen a lot of stuff about him. uh, He could have come, he should have gone back to Virginia tech and he's to work on his, his, uh, you know, passing drop back and and everything. And uh, that all might be true. I, I still think that if he gets onto an NFL roster, it's pretty valuable to be on that roster and get NFL coaching. And uh, even if you're not the guy uh, getting a, all the reps out there, at least you're in an NFL environment learning the NFL game as opposed to college where it was going to be an adjustment uh, if he came back and came out next year. Do you get the sense that there are at least a decent-sized chunk of the Virginia Tech fan base wants to see him go undrafted? Maybe it's the, just the vocal mi- maybe it's the vocal minority. It, it would know, definitely be like... an, ex- an extremely vocal minority uh, yeah. in there. I, I think maybe some people feel a little jilted by the fact that he left after a year. I don't know why they would. He came here and he was outstanding in his year. He represented Virginia Tech great. Uh, you know, led them back to the ACC title game. Everything he did here was outstanding. You can't argue with that at all. Uh, honestly, I can't blame a guy for making a decision to go pro. I mean, if you want to no. go uh, start making money in your life, uh, you know, if you make an NFL roster, that's a pretty good living. I know all these people it's like, oh, he gave up his education. It's like, you know what? If you make the NFL minimum in your first year and make a roster, you can come back and pay for that last year of college. It won't be too big of a problem. Uh, right. I, I think it's interesting that there's just sort of this uh, uh, industry-wide thought that Gerard left too early. It maybe did, but uh, – yeah, you know, these NFL scouts don't know everything. I mean, I, there's a there's like a 50% hit rate in the first round. Like, I, sometimes I feel like people just talk about the draft as though it's a sure thing with every pick. And, oh, if, if everybody talks about this guy, he must be the real deal. Uh, no, that, that wouldn't be the case. Otherwise, you wouldn't see so many misses in the first round all the time. Otherwise, you wouldn't see uh, Tom Brady go in the sixth round. Everybody talks about the genius of Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Well, oh, yeah, you, you passed on the best quarterback of all times five times before you decided to take him in that draft. Uh, don't tell me there's not a degree of luck in some of these picks. Uh, Dak Prescott last year, they can talk about how genius the Cowboys were for taking him. You're still taking a flyer when it's a fourth-round pick like that. So uh, I think sometimes it, it just seems to be so much of this consensus, oh, this guy made a bad decision, uh, shouldn't have gone pro. Uh, sometimes that works out for these guys, uh, especially quarterback. I mean, I'll go back. The 2011 draft, I think, is an interesting one for me. You know, Cam Newton went number one, and there's a famous Sports Illustrated cover back then. It's like, who is going to be number one? It's like the eternal debate. It was Cam Newton in the center, and he was flanked by Jake Locker and Blaine Gabbert. And both those guys got taken in the top ten. Christian Ponder got taken number 12 by my Vikings. Uh all three of those were just colossally bad draft picks. And the, was that Russell Wilson's draft too? Uh, no? I'm not sure if that was. Third round. Yeah, he might have been 2010. I, I can't remember. That was that was the Ryan Mallett draft in the third round. Uh, Kaepernick, Andy Dalton went later in the second round. Colin Kaepernick. But I mean, 
the thought that, you know, industry-wide, I, I think the ponder pick was kind of panned. But, you know, a lot of people were high on Jake Locker coming to that draft, and he was horrible as a pro. Blaine Gabbert's never done really anything. Uh, maybe a little bit career resurgence last year in, in San Francisco that maybe you could see the, uh, you know, the shreds of an NFL career there. But the fact that there was a legitimate debate there, remember when it was, uh, you know, who's going to go first? Is it going to be Tim Couch or Akili Smith? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that, that Sports Illustrated cover with the Browns and it had the, the Browns mascot and both these guys in the jerseys. It's like, oh, poor Browns fans. You were doomed either way, whoever you took <laughs> in that draft. Uh, there's a legitimate debate a long time ago whether the Colts should take Peyton Manning or Ryan Leaf. Uh, you're talking about right. one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, uh, or should they have taken one of the biggest draft busts of all time? That was the line there, is that there was a legitimate debate between the best quarterback possibly all time and one of the worst draft picks of all time. That's just, it's amazing to me that we can talk with such certainty about whether these guys should have gone pro or shouldn't have gone pro when, uh, you know, time and time again, we're proven that we don't really know whether, you know, what's going to happen for a guy's future. Who was the other guy that was uh, being considered alongside Andrew Luck? Remember that? RG3. can't remember. Oh, was it RG3? That was RG3. Yeah. That, uh, was a, that was, he was a can't-miss NFL guy, and, and obviously he missed. You know, this is my impassioned yeah. defense of, you know, I, I think a lot of people have uh, been highly critical of Gerard for going, and every, every time we ask an NFL guy about him, uh, NFL draft analyst about him. He goes, I can't believe he went pro. He should have stayed. It's like, well, that might be true, but you know, who knows how this turns out? The thing I always hear is like, well, he should have come back for another year. Or Isaiah Ford, you know, some people say he should come back for another year. It's like, well, if he goes pro next year, he's still going to be the same speed, essentially. I don't think you change how fast you are. He's going to have essentially the same 40 time next year. Is that going to change his draft stock too much? Uh, right. Is Gerard playing in an offensive Swiss system like Fuentes, where you know he carried the ball 200 times last year? Uh, I, I think it's not an NFL progression type offense. I think it's a lot of one read and then you know take off on the ground, don't go through progressions type thing. A lot of uh, fixed passes. You know, throw it to this target or, or go somewhere else and run it. You know, that's not an NFL uh, mindset. Uh, if he came back and had another year of that, or if Bucky Hodges came back and had another year playing wide receiver and not tight end, would that have helped their NFL draft stock too much? Uh, right. Sometimes I, I think it's just the assumption that if you come back uh, for another year of college, that will make you a better pro in the future. Uh, I think sometimes you're going to be the kind of pro that you're going to be regardless of how long you spend in college. It, it just kind of is determined on how good you are to begin with and how hard of a worker you are. So. Uh, you know, I, I guess it could it could really hurt Gerard if he doesn't get drafted and doesn't make a roster, and then all of a sudden you're like, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to play Arena Bowl or CFL or something like that? Uh, if that's the case, I think it, it, it hurts him quite a bit. But if, if he can make a team out of training camp or get drafted and, and be on an NFL roster, you know, I think that's a win for him. I think he's making money in the NFL. Uh, I think if he came back another year, it's not like he would have been guaranteed to be a first rounder, and all of a sudden he's a starter in the NFL. Uh, I think it's it's how he developed as a quarterback and how he works will determine that. And uh, you can still do that uh, as a backup player in the NFL. Yeah. And I think, I think when we talk about the small minority of, of tech fans who, who feel jilted, I think you also throw in the, the small minority of tech fans who just really think he made the wrong choice. And, and if there's have a burning desire to be right. Like they just would rather be right and have his, his career, uh, not get off to a good start by not getting drafted or not landing on a roster because that makes them right. You know, and it's like, well, well you, are you betting on this? Are you making any money on Like, how does that make your life any better if you were right about that? You know, like, I would say that the decisions made, um, if you're a Tech fan, I, I would think you would just, and I think there are a lot of people that think this way. I don't think, the, you know, I'm, this is that uncommon of a, of a thought, but, you know, that he's gone. Uh, wish him the best. You know, ho- hopefully things go as well as they possibly can for him. Uh, he, he did a lot while he was here, and uh, you know, he's moving on to another part of his life. Right, that was, that was sort we, of part uh, of my thing when I was, you know, writing these pre-draft things. It's like, well, when he first came out, if, if somebody says, "Oh, he should have stayed in school," it's like, okay, well, that's kind of newsworthy with the timing. You know, a week ago he could have stayed in school and he chose not to, but I mean, it's, it was. It was last week, and Mayock and Kuyper are still going on. I was like, he should have stayed in school. I was like, well, he didn't. He made that decision four months ago to go pro. 
you know, that ship has sailed. He, he's going pro. Right. Uh, you know, to their to their credit, they elaborated on that. They gave some more insight of to him as a, a potential pro prospect and said he has a lot of work to do. But, uh, you know, I, I think at a certain point, it just doesn't do any good to continue harping on it. It's like, oh, yeah, he, he maybe could have benefited by coming back, but he didn't. He, he chose to go pro and become a professional and uh, move on to being paid for what he's doing in his career. And, you know, I can't fault a guy for doing that. Exactly. All right. Uh, before we go here, Sam Rogers, any shot uh, somebody picks him up late? I think so. I, I think Kuiper ranked him as the number four fullback in the draft. I know that's a disappearing position uh, in the NFL, but there are still a lot of teams that will line up and smash mouth you. Uh, I, I think there's got to be a role for a guy like Sam, because, not be, just because he's more than that. I mean, he's more than just a, a, a traditional fullback. He can do some stuff in space. You know, there are limited roster sizes in the NFL. He's a guy who will play every position you ask him to, every special teams that you possibly have. Uh, when numbers are an issue on your roster and you have to fill a lot of roles, a guy like that that can do everything is very valuable. Uh, he, he just strikes me as somebody. He strikes me as somebody who'd be very good on the Patriots. I just feel like he he would buy into the Patriot way immediately. Like Bill Belichick would love a Sam Rogers. I'm not saying the Patriots are going to draft him. I'm just saying that mentality that he will bring and the versatility he has. I think that will be prized by an NFL team. Okay, we like to end this thing with predictions. So I, I'm going to frame it like this today since we don't really have any games to predict. How many – can you predict the amount of hours of coverage you will be watching regarding the NFL draft? Does that count following it online or actually you know, physically watching a television? Physically watching a television. <sighs> it's going to be too many. I mean, it's it's embarrassing. Like, I used to really love watching the draft before I had to cover it uh, the way we cover it now. It used to be like an event. It used to be like, oh, let's go, you know, drink and, and enjoy ourselves watching the draft. That's what they did on a one day where it's like, okay, let's start drinking at 11 <laughs> for eight hours of the draft, and this will be really fun. We actually did it for a couple of years there. But now they do it over three days, and I have to cover it more seriously, so I have to be sober. All these rules of being a newspaper reporter, <laughs> um, you know, uh, but – you know, I'll probably watch a good chunk of it tonight. Uh, probably not as much as I normally would because that's going to be a hard sell with my wife. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're going to sit here and watch people talk about guys who have never played in the NFL getting selected to play on teams in the NFL. It's just not a, a good couple's uh, viewing uh, night of television. Uh, tomorrow night, I, I don't think I'll watch a ton because I have to cover the Salem Red Sox. So I'll be, you know, monitoring it from afar in the press box there over, uh, you know, DraftCast or whatever ESPN has. Saturday, I'll have it on the background uh, all day because I think that's the day when a lot of the the Hokies actually will be selected. Uh, I'll probably say at least eight hours. It might be more than that. Uh, but that's that's way too much anyway. It's just a pathetic number to, for how much you actually watch this thing. So my my number is zero. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna I, I don't have, I don't follow any NFL sites on Twitter right now. I'm gonna go and find one that's doing live updates of the draft, and that's all they're doing is they're just saying what what the pick was, you know who who picked what, and what the guy is. Uh, I don't want a bell. I don't want a lot of bells and whistles. I just want the name, uh, the position, and the team, and where he played in college, and that's how I'll be following the draft. And not very intently, but I know this is a, a magical day, a magical three-day period for uh, a good number of people. And more power to you. I mean, that's that's my opening. That's what opening day is for me. And I hope you enjoy it. If this is something you really get a kick out of, um, but personally, that's just it doesn't do anything for me. I envy your situation so much <laughs> that you can just say, "I'm not going to pay attention to this." I will go outside and enjoy nature or whatever you're going to do. Like, there's just so many better things that you could be doing than, you know, sitting around a TV and watching this. People talk about playing football. It's not even playing football. It's talking about playing football and, uh, you know, all the clips packages and this, you know, scenarios that they discuss. It just, it can just be overbearing at a certain point. Yeah. And the only, the only one I'd, Round I'd really be interested in watching it all would be the first. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, although you know, and even that is like the first ten picks. (laughs) Beyond that, it's like unless there's a guy that's like dropped that's sitting in the green room like Johnny Manziel a couple years ago, 
uh, you, you lose a lot of the drama in that first round very quickly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I will, um, I'll be at the Red Sox game tonight, but I'll follow us there. And then tomorrow I'm going to the UVA Spring Festival, or that's Saturday, excuse me. Saturday I'll be going to the UVA Spring Festival. So wow. I'll have uh, plenty of details on that on, on the blog there. Uh, I'm sure people are excited uh, about that. All right. Well, that's it's been a nice long cast, and I think we've got a lot of meat here. So uh, we'll wrap it up with that. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarlane. We'll see you next time.